Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's show, we welcome Trace Trucco from Sons of UCF Live. We're going to kind of go around the horn on UCF sports. Of course, most recently, softball went to the NCAA Regional where their season came to an end. Baseball playing in the conference tournament. And we'll also talk some hoops and football, too. We'll do a UCF focus show today. So, uh, Get ready for that. Trace Troco standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. A thought first. So, the NFL has decided that they're going to have more flex scheduling in the equation. So now, the potential of flexing Thursday night games. Now, you already know how I feel about Thursday night football. It's a Terrible product, but the league is making mucho money on that deal, so it ain't going anywhere. But now there could be the potential that they could flex a game from Sunday to Thursday. And that is an interesting dynamic. You know, flex scheduling going from a Sunday afternoon to a Sunday night, which has been around for quite a while, uh, is is not a as big a deal, and they started doing some Monday night flex. It's still a little inconvenient, but a Thursday Sunday swap. You know, think about fans, especially those who like to travel. You know, could be looking at. Uh, you know, now they say they're going to do it a month out, but I don't know. I mean. As a person who likes to travel for sports events, I like to plan more than a month out and, uh, you know, get all my ducks in a row for that. So unless you're willing to wait within the 28-day period, you could be inconvenienced to having to try to change flights and hotel rooms and things like that. Now, for the home fans, it's not a big a deal, although, you know, Maybe you don't want to be out on a school night or something with your kids. Uh, the bottom line is the NFL cares more about the TV product than they do the stadium product. And that's not to say the stadium product, you know, is, is a bad thing. But what funds the league are these big TV contracts. And the NFL has proven they care more about the $1 billion that, Amazon is paying versus the hundreds to, you know, anywhere from a thousand, two thousand dollars you might spend for a football game. That is really the bottom line. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show from the Sons of UCF live show. We bring in Trace Troco. Trace, good to talk to you again. Been a while. It's been a minute, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, how long since they were playing football? And now we're 100 days out as we talk today from the start of the 2023 UCF football season in the Big 12. But it's been a while since we got together. Yeah, well, it's always good to catch up with you, my friend. And, uh, yeah, you speaking of that, 100 days away from football, and they uh, unveiled the new gold helmet today. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. Uh, I saw it. I am pro gold, black and gold all the way. <laughs> I'm not a big 
uh, Citronaut guy or the uh, the blue uniforms that they wear. So anything you're bringing out that's black or gold, I'm all for. They they and they look sharp, so it's all it's all good and little little thing to get you thirsty for football. That's it. That's, that's right. That's right. How about that? Dropping that a hundred days out, a little uniform uh, helmet talk. Uh, you know, in the ho hum days here of summer, as we get, uh, you know, as we anxiously await moving into the Big Twelve. Yeah, for sure. And of course, uh, while still members of the AAC, uh, UCF baseball taking uh, part in the conference tournament over on the west coast of Florida. Of course, you are fresh back from uh, today's festivities out there, where UCF wins in a walk off by Andrew Brait with the home run. Uh, boy, that's uh, exciting stuff uh, to get through that first game. Uh, they were cruising right along and uh, had a tie game going to the bottom of the ninth, and, or the top of the ninth, rather, and wow, good stuff. Yeah, and, you know, for UCF, obviously, you, you stay in the winner's bracket. You know, it's a double elimination tournament. If you lose, you got to come back uh, the next day. Also benefiting UCF is they had the first game as the four seeds, so they played at 9 a.m., over in Clearwater, you know, near real South Florida or fake South Florida, right? <laughs> uh, uh, a 9 a.m. game, which gets completed about noon. They're off now until Thursday. They play the winner of the next game, which goes extra innings between ECU, the one seed, and South Florida, the eight seed. And South Florida prevails. Both ECU and South Florida burn through a lot of pitchers. UCF with just the three. They had, in UCF's case, the three-nothing lead. Uh, Cam Leiter, the freshman, all-freshman team in the AAC, uh, with his longest outing of the year, goes seven, nine Ks. They're ahead, three nothing. They left guys on base, though. And you know how the AAC is with these, uh, you know, high-scoring games. And, you know, you'd like to bank more runs if you're UCF and give up a run in the eighth, a two-run home run in the ninth. But you mentioned it, Andrew Brait with the walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth and UCF gets to enjoy a little time at Clearwater Beach as they uh, await now uh, their next opponent. And uh, again, you play from the winner's bracket, so your week uh, continues a little bit longer. Yeah. And of course, obviously, the Knights would have to win the tournament in order to get into the NCAAs. You know, give me your thoughts on the overall season to this point. You know, it's to me, it's been a lot of feast or famine. Uh, a lot of inconsistency. Uh, you know, they, they score a lot of runs, but pitching has been... Uh, been difficult at times. Uh, what is your overall assessment uh, of, of Yeah, nice that baseball? sums it up really well, right? The inconsistency when they had the stronger pitching, the bats were uh, quiet, uh, and then the bats come alive, and they're losing games, you know, 14-11, or these sorts of games, right, uh, which you can't have, which is what made Cam Leiter's outing on, uh, you know, in the AAC uh, tournament, that first game so critical he goes deep in that game they don't have to burn through a lot of pitchers UCF is going to go as far as the pitching goes you know the offense is likely to step up and score but you can't have these situations where you're in football type scores you know they played Wichita State last week in the final home series Uh, they gave up a ton of runs in the ninth they have to win it in a walk-off 16-15 okay and and, and this was a 12-11 game between ECU and South Florida so you see that it does happen but again if if you're the one that scored 11 you feel good about your chances until you you know you give up that 12th run for UCF to only give up the three and and just enough offense today and the walk-off home run to win but it has been a a mixed year I, I don't think the pitching is has turned out quite like they'd hoped and uh, you know, you'll you'll see good outings from guys even out of the bullpen, and then 
they they can't seem to get anybody out. If they can put it together in this conference tournament and win it, then they can get to the NCAA tournament. But that's what it's going to take. Uh, you know, they've got they piled up too many losses. The RPI is too low. They're not going to get an at large. So it's Clearwater or bust. But they are capable of doing it if they could just get reasonable uh, pitching. Mm-hmm. The offense would seem to be able to carry them. But it's good ECU takes that loss in the first game. You know, ECU is going to be tournament bound as uh, winners of the regular season in the AC, and they're they're ranked. And, and, and so that's not a question. You want to steal a bit here. But keep them in the loser's bracket and let somebody else knock them out. And, and now UCF renews, we didn't think we'd see it again quite so soon, the war on I-4, uh, which I traveled early this morning to make it out for that 9 a.m. start uh, in Clearwater. It's USF uh, and UCF in the Thursday game at one o'clock. So, uh, uh, opportunity now for UCF to uh, to advance. And again, South Florida burned through some pitching today in that extra inning affair. Yeah, another round with the cows. How about that? That's right. <laughs> and it's interesting because you know, and you you are saying the one key word that's vital in postseason pitching. <laughs> it's that's how you that's how you're going to get there. That's right. And and if UCF can again get just some reasonable pitching. Then they, then they have a good chance here, but you can't be on the, you can't find yourself in 16, 15 games. You're burning through too many guys. And this is, you know, you got a championship game is Sunday. So you know how many days you got to make it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's why being in that winner's bracket, taking the day off on Wednesday, using three pitchers, uh, Cam went seven, which means you'll see him again if they go deeper into the, the weekend and, uh, one inning a piece, uh, one inning a piece from each of their relievers, which means that they'll be viable again soon. So, uh, for UCF, it's uh, it was a good Tuesday. Yeah. Well, give me your thoughts on Coach Greg Lovelady. So, you know, like in my opinion, you know, he 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 started off well. You know, made they made the team advance a little bit, but it seems to have been leveled off, and and the program does not seem to be advancing. At least, like I think it should. I. Does a does a conference does do they have to win the conference tournament for him to remain the coach at UCF? Well, only athletics director Terry Mahadra knows what uh, the answer to that question is. Uh, you mentioned what have they done lately? You know, uh, thirty plus win seasons, but a fan base that expects championships, winning an American, going to the NCAA tournament, and that hasn't happened since his first season in going to the NCAA tournament. I happen to be of the belief that each of UCF's coaches have earned the right to coach into the Big 12, recruit into the Big 12. So if you're asking me, uh, I think that's what should happen. I think they, they've they been around long enough, this mix of coaches, that, that that's what they've earned. And uh, we'll see what Terry Mahadra thinks. Is the program ascending? I, it's hard to imagine seeing the quality of play in the Big 12 that if UCF is having to win 16-15 game against Wichita State, no disrespect to Wichita State, but, you know, it's murderer's row in the Big 12, and you're going to be facing a lot of good teams, uh, it's going to be more challenging. They have to step up their recruiting uh, to do that. And that's why a change uh, at this time, making a change of coach, uh, you're, you're, you're rebuilding going into the Big 12. Uh, so uh, I would keep Coach Lovelady and give him an opportunity to show what he can do uh, in the Big 12, but we'll see what Terry Mahadra thinks. I do think the longer they're in Clearwater, it makes that decision maybe a little bit easier for Terry Mahadra. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because as the athletic director, you know, he hasn't had that situation where he's had to fire a coach yet, you know, at least in for performance reasons. Um, so 
you know, we haven't, it'll be an interesting time because we haven't seen coaches really, you know, let go. They've left on their own. It would be kind of a, something we haven't seen in a while. Yeah. I mean, you got to go back, right? A ways. Uh, Danny White, uh, you know, he came in, he said he wanted to see uh, teams do well academically, players do well academically, stay out of trouble with the law and contend for conference championships. And then he made moves, tennis coach, soccer coach, you know, he made moves uh, and changed some of the coaches. So we have not seen that kind of move from Terry Mahajer. And curious to see whether he wants to make that sort of decision. You know, he's got to replace uh, volleyball coach Todd Dagenet, who is moving on to uh, a fledgling professional league with the Atlanta franchise, this after a long tenure at UCF. And then under maybe some interesting circumstances, uh, the very successful rowing coach, uh, Becky Kramer, uh, said that she was stepping away and they have begun a search for that position. Uh, so he's had to make some moves in that regard, but you know, it's a little bit different when you have to make a move in terms of a termination. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Big 12, of course, you know, I think, you know, the softball team looks the best poised of all our programs uh, going into the Big 12. Uh, Coach Cindy Balmalone uh, has done such an amazing job with this program. Three consecutive 40-win seasons, you know, making the NCAA tournament on, an, on a regular basis now. Uh, you know, this is... This, to me, is a very exciting. It looks like, you know, this core group is going to be together uh, going into the Big 12. Uh, so there's a lot of great opportunity there, I think. Yeah, you know, I think there is some buzz around softball. And the way you said, maybe the most Big 12 ready. Uh, you look at the roster being built, 16th ranked recruiting class, this last one uh, that's coming in, core of the team returning. You know that uh, players will come and go in the transfer portal that exists for softball too, though mm -hmm. we think of it mainly for football and, and basketball, but it's also for softball. Uh, they play a challenging schedule, which sets up their RPI which allows for, you know, the NCAA tournament berth. And you may look at their record and say, well, but they didn't do very well, especially early against that tougher competition, but it made them battle-tested. And if you watched over the weekend, uh, they were three-seed at the Tallahassee Regional. They were right there with Florida State, you know, a little bit timely hitting, uh, maybe a little, you know, better defensive play. That's what separates uh, a team like UCF and that knocking off, a Florida State in their own ballpark, right? So you, you've got to play not perfect, but pretty darn close to perfect to knock off a of Florida State. You saw what they did when they beat South Carolina in that first game. They couldn't get past them in the second game. But the future is very bright uh, for softball, and there's a lot of energy around the program. Uh, the success has certainly opened a lot of eyes. People have discovered softball uh, the last couple of years. And this has been a program over 20 years that has been very successful yes. at UCF, but now on a different level. And it's an NCAA tournament level. And now you won't have, like they faced with Memphis, they finished three games with Memphis. Memphis a very low RPI, uh, the drag down UCS RPI. You don't have those sorts of low quality teams in the big 12 night in and night out everybody is good so uh your rpi will remain strong and uh i think they're poised well especially with a core group a younger group that uh, has now gone through this experience they get to go into the big 12 uh, having been in the ncaa tournament you know and that, that run for some of them last year when they played oklahoma so uh, i think they're well positioned uh it's fun to watch uh, UCS softball, and I, I really have discovered it more recently, you know, uh, always more casual, but I've gotten into it more. 
Even so that I'll flip on a game that's, you know, if I'm flipping through and I land on a softball game, I'll watch that yep. even when it doesn't involve UCF because it's exciting. Yeah, it is fun stuff. And, you know, you think about the challenges, you know, they had coming into this season too. You know, they they graduated two talented pitchers. They kind of had to find their way there until, you know, Sarah Willis stepped up and, and, and Jewel stepped up and, and kind of assumed those roles. But that took a little bit of time. Uh, through the early part of the season. So it, it, to me, that's, you know, a great example of the coaching that goes on at UCF and, and how how they develop players during the course of the season. And when you mentioned Sarah Willis, uh, Chloe Evans, also these are two people successfully brought in through the transfer portal. Yes. And so Coach Cindy Ball Malone knows how to work that portal as well. And uh, again, UCF will lose some players. Uh, into the portal, but uh, you want to bring better quality players out of the portal. And as she said in her post game following the loss that knocked them out, uh, she knows what the roster needs to look like to be in the Big 12. And she's going to go person by person on that roster and, and determine, you know, whether she thinks and her staff thinks that they're ready to be in the Big 12. So some difficult conversations in the aftermath of that loss. Uh, as she's already begun work on the next season and 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 setting them up for uh, success in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and you know you mentioned Chloe Evans. You know what a what a what a great revelation she was uh, through the course of the season. I think you know I'm kind of the opinion. You know you know Jada Cody. You know I think playing for Team USA. I kind of felt that kind of wore her down a little bit coming mm. into this season because she wasn't as dominant. Still a good. Very good player, but not dominant like she had been. And you know, Chloe Evans kind of offset that with 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 her arrival, and and uh, I think that was kind of an interesting uh, dynamic with the team this year. Yeah, that's interesting because I think all the talk about her having participated in that is that it was going to improve her game, and I don't think there's any question that it does help yeah. to improve her game. But uh, that's an interesting thought, maybe one to explore in the offseason conversations with Coach uh, or Jada. Uh, whether there was some wear and tear over the course of the season. Remember, they're still college students, right? They're young. I mean, while they can bounce back maybe better than some of us, uh, it still can be a grind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but lots of great things to look forward to as far as uh, softball goes. And, of course, uh, we, uh, you know, as you talk about, you know, coaches and the situations like that, you know, I know there's a, there's a lot of mixed feelings about uh, Johnny Dawkins right now with the basketball program. And I always go back to the one thing, you know, it's like, okay, who are you going to get that's better? Because if you're going to replace Johnny Dawkins, I mean, it's not like these teams are poor year in and year out. You know, they, they, they have some amount of success throughout the course of the season. But, you know, has he reached his peak at UCF? He reached his peak at Stanford, uh, you know, uh, during his seven years there. Uh, sometimes you need that next guy to get to the next level. But as you mentioned, going into a new conference, do you really want to start from the rebuild side of things? Although with the transfer portal, rebuilding is kind of a constant, You're all right? but rebuilding <laughs> anyway when you're UCF. Um, you know, it is, a, it is a very discussed topic. I think there's an expectation on the fan base's part that they want to win. You know, they see what Big 12 basketball looks like. It's or they see the success <laughs> – that Houston has, right? Mm-hmm. As they go into the Big 12 with UCF, uh, and you, you know, Cincinnati's had their gears where they've been strong. Uh, this is, while basketball is one of the oldest sports, right, on the campus, hasn't had that level of success. I mean, you can make the argument that Coach Dawkins has brought them to the most sustained success that they've had. 
I think, as I mentioned with Coach Lovelady, the Coach Dawkins has earned the right to coach into the Big 12. Obviously, there was no change after the season, and, and you lose players to the portal and you pick players up. It's, you know, you hear Coach Gus Malzahn, the changing landscape of college, uh, the landscape of college basketball, you're having to redo your roster every year. And, uh, you know, that's challenging. The Big 12 is a different animal, though. And, uh, I mean, I kind of jokingly say to people, um, over under five wins in the Big 12, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe you, you steal something with a BYU, uh, Cincinnati, uh, and then you start to go, well, who else? A Texas Tech, maybe a West Virginia. There's no weak teams in no. this league. <laughs> and I don't know that we know at this point with a couple of scholarship spots uh, still open what the final composition of this roster is going to look like. It's some promising names have come in. But, uh, you know, until you see what they do on the court, uh, is it a Big 12 roster? Uh, you know, we're, we're going to find out. Uh, uh, and how long... Terry Mahajer, the athletic director, wants to stay with him. You know, obviously he's staying with him to make that move into the Big 12. But there's a restlessness amongst the fan base. You used an interesting phrase is, you know, is he the guy that gets you to the guy that takes you to the next level? But with NIL, with other things, you know, most of those dollars seem to be directed to football at UCF. It's, you know, it drives everything. Are there the sort those sorts of dollars to attract a big name? And if even if you put those dollars to a big name, and Johnny Dawkins, by the way, when he came to UCF, was a big name. I mean, he had success at Stanford. That yes. is no slouch, no. right? Uh, and obviously, uh, his reputation, his success uh, athletically through the years. And he's uh, a Hall of Famer. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, and from all accounts, right, as much as we can get to know coaches, a decent guy, right? So, um, who are you going to get? You're going to get a promising up and coming young assistant who then is going to leave you for more money, or are you going to get a reclamation project looking to boost their resume and rebuild their career? Or you're going to throw a lot of money. What, where's this money to throw at bringing in a top name coach? Because that coach is going to want facility upgrades. UCF is committed to those. But then they're going to start wanting players. And we know how this works. They're going to have to start throwing dollars <laughs> to attract players. And why do you want to come to UCF if you're that cal- caliber player, right? Mm-hmm. And you have all those other Big 12 schools throwing money or other, you know, SEC, what have you. It, it's it's challenging. Uh, I I think the road ahead, I said to someone, Enjoy this win that you're watching at home because you're not going to see as many of those <laughs> next year. Enjoy this one because I don't know when, you know, they'll have the non-conference schedule. Uh, so there'll be some opportunities there, no doubt. But uh, um, just like this season, team, you bring in a bunch of guys, and while they have opportunity to practice over the summer, you still have to gel on the court in meaningful games, and that can take you a while, mm-hmm. you know? And so they're going to have to come together quickly to face that gauntlet that is the Big 12. Yeah, you know, I think I think where some of the frustration comes in is you kind of had hoped that after the the NCAA tournament team with, with Taco and BJ and and Aubrey that they would have been able to capitalize on that, you know, use that to their advantage, but it has it it hasn't sustained. I think that's probably where a lot of the frustration comes in. I think that's a fair criticism that you want to see it sustained, but realistically, and you followed the program for a long time. What is reasonable? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a postseason? Again, they, they made the NIT. I know it's not the NCAA tournament. What's for a UCF? What is reasonable in terms of making an NCAA tournament and postseason play? 
And when do you want to see? How often do you want to see that? I I know you just don't want to get there. You want to make some noise. You want to you want to win. Coach Dawkins won at Stanford, won NIT mm-hmm. tournaments, right? So it's not as if though he hasn't won. Um, but what is realistic for UCF as a basketball program? And that's a question I think that's going to be asked across the sports. We talked about softball, kind of maybe being Big Twelve ready, but you go sport by sport. What is going to be a reasonable expectation in that first year in the Big 12? You know, it's often been said, especially at football, UCF can win a one-off game with Auburn in the Peach Bowl, but how would they fare with their depth in an SEC schedule? Well, we're going to find out about that depth uh, for football and across all of these sports as they face high-quality teams in, in all sports. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the, kind of my last thought on, on Coach Dawkins, like I said, if if you tell me you want to replace the coach, I always ask, well, who are you going to get? You know, because you, that's a that's a big multitude of options out there, and 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 I look at I look at this, and I just you know hope that you know they have that that it's not a complete bust the first season for basketball in the Big Twelve because you know you want to you want to be able to see the opportunities that will come from being in a bigger conference for your recruiting, for attracting your quote unquote free agents that we have in, in college sports. Free agents. You know? Isn't that, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I know it's the new face of it, but it, it frustrates me a little bit, but what is a reasonable number for you, right? 18 game schedule. It's hard. I think everybody, you know, it's funny in football, 12 game uh, schedule, you know, and nine games in conference, you'd say, wow, if UCF could get six and six, they're going to make a bowl game, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, fan base sort of saying that a little bit. Nine and nine in men's basketball? Would be Oh, huge. my goodness. They're, <laughs> almost the whole league goes to the tournament. Yeah. All right? So that's why I'm kind of jokingly saying five wins, you know. Do they get to seven? You know, they they have played high-caliber teams, you know, but they're more one-offs. So what's it going to look like night after night after night, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but you take nine, right? I, I think you take seven and eleven in the first year. I think I would accept that. Yeah. So, so uh, nine, you'd be ecstatic. You take seven, and that's why I sort of say, can they find five? Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, you know, they get to the five, then let's let's shoot for the seven. But uh, you know, there's no more uh, ECUs and South Floridas. Uh, and these are not games necessarily that have been slam dunks for UCF. You know, they got swept uh, with the team from Tampa last year. You know, uh, who are they comparable to? You know, mm-hmm. is it Oklahoma State? <laughs> is it West Virginia? Is it again Houston's coming along with them, yeah. and that's no slouch of a program. Yeah. So, oh, and, and you know, in, in you know, little school in you know Manhattan, Kansas, that uh, it seems to do well pretty well every year. Lawrence, and ba- Baylor, you know, Baylor won a national championship not long ago. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, probably different nights of the week than accustomed to uh in in the ac play and uh you know different opponents coming to the ucf arena and different networks and tv slots and things like that might not have to search for espn plus for a sunday noon game against temple uh (laughs) you know maybe some higher profile time slots and all that so it's going to be exciting but i don't think anyone in the ucf fan base wants to go in and be the laughing stock. You know, they're going to want to see com- competition, competition, be competitive. Uh, whether that translates into wins, I don't know. I Again, I nine it, I'd be ecstatic. Uh, I'd take seven, and let's see if they can beat five. Yeah. 
And of course, you know, women's basketball, you know, they had the just a unfortunate happening of, uh, you know, uh, coach, the coach leaving, taking a number of players with her. And having Making a lot of players, and yeah, coaches. <laughs> yeah, and, and so you know, having to start from scratch in that in that regard, it's probably better than it happened last year instead of this year, it's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, whatever um, growing pains and you know, working things out uh, that City of Messer has had to work through in her first season, and, and they they you know they were they struggled around a five hundred record, a little bit of a you know win in the in the postseason tournament. Uh, opportunity to put her stamp on the program but the big 12 is no slouch in women's basketball either so uh, it's the same equation you know i mean they have had success as a league so uh you know uh, it's it's interesting it's not obviously as high profile not only as a sport but on the ucf campus certainly uh compared to men's basketball Um, but i agree with you if if it was going to happen she's had a year and uh she knows having had other stops, uh, high profile stops, what it takes to, uh, what kind of talent it takes uh, to be competitive and win. Now, can she, can Coach Dawkins, you name the sport, can they attract that kind of talent uh, to UCF? That's going to be the big question. That's why I say with all of the coaches, let's see what they can do. They've yeah. been recruiting at the AAC level and some longer than that at Conference USA and, and so forth. Let's see what she can do. Uh, but she certainly, you know, mixed bag her first year. Let's see what she can do in that first year in the Big 12. Yeah. Well, as we said at the top, 100 days away from football. And, uh, you know, one of the most exciting things to me about the upcoming football season is I am glad that we have hired an offensive coordinator in one Darren Henshaw because I was of this opinion when 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 Josh Heifel was still the coach that we needed we needed somebody to concentrate on the play calling. And I think this is a I think this is a great step in in that in the right direction. If if you believe <laughs> Coach Malzahn is going to keep his hands on, yeah, and I <laughs> you know and and I know this job has changed in the couple years since he took it, right? And he is stepping aside to say, as he has, that he's going to focus more on CEO type roles and collectives and NIL and all that fundraising stuff. And I believe him in all of that, but he also didn't like when play calling was taken away from him at Auburn and he was chomping at the bit, you know, how often as he introduces the guy that wrote the book on uh, you know, high power <laughs> offense, you know, um, how much of it will be Darren Hinshaw collaborating with coach Malzahn. I mean, coach Malzahn's not going to learn about a play watching on the sidelines, mm-hmm. you know, but it was interesting to see him during spring camp. As he moved, you know, often earlier, he would be primarily with the quarterbacks. This time, when we had those 10-minute, 15-minute glimpses into practice once a week, you saw him moving across the field, spending some time with the offensive line, moving over to the defensive side of the ball. So he's moved around. It it is a change for him. We'll see how well he adapts when we get to real football in the the season versus uh, spring camp or preseason camp. Yeah. And of course, you know the other uh, captivating storyline that uh, has has surrounded UCF sports, uh, not just through football but through baseball. John Rice Plumley uh, as the starting quarterback. I mean, I I don't see any 
way he's not the starter going into the going into the season. Well, that's a difference over a year, right? Yeah, uh, there was that. Uh, I don't know how serious it was. It certainly was the fodder for podcasts and talk and message boards. But that quarterback competition with he and Mikey Keene, and you know, depending on who you talk to, there's Camp Keene and Camp JRP and. Uh, and the belief in some uh, circles that uh, Coach Malzahn was always with JRP. and But we saw what Mikey did. Mikey's moved on and uh, into the transfer portal. Would have been interesting to see what Thomas Castellanos, if he could have challenged uh, him, mm-hmm. uh, JRP. But he also has entered the portal, gone to Boston College. Um, you know, uh, thought being that it's JRP's job to lose and now the competition behind him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know is, is not the same as it was a year ago. But I'll tell you what, he's backed it up. You know, I don't think anybody thought he would be able to do what he did in baseball. And it has certainly been a uh, media story throughout the spring. You know, him running from the baseball field to the spring game. Uh, ESPN.com has an article today uh, out on their website uh, about JRP. And he's backing it up. Now, fans won't care that he ran from the outfield to the football stadium in April when it comes along to the fall season. They want to see more downfield passing. Hey, that's what offensive coordinator Darren Hinshaw has promised, right? Uh, they can pass it, but will they complete it? How will the offense change that maybe takes advantage of JRP's strengths, but also minimizes whatever weaknesses he might have? You know, can you can you hit a little bit of a shorter pass? Uh, you know, a little bit over the middle. You know, can, can you can he do those things with greater success and stay healthy? You know, it's an interesting topic in the offseason. Everybody looking at that so-called backup quarterback position because there's a thought, right? Uh, you know, he, he concussion or hamstring. You know, what what are, we gonna, what are they going to do if they need to bring in QB two? There's no guarantee that he he gets knocked or, or gets injured. You know, but he's going to have to be smart about the way he plays too if he wants to sustain uh, this uh, this upcoming run through the Big Twelve schedule. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. One of the things I did like, or I say I would love, was you know, he brought a little bit of the football attitude to the baseball team, which uh, mm-hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. Boom! <laughs> and, <laughs> and, he, and he plays a hell of a center field and is a, and is a good igniter, uh, you know, uh, getting on base and making things happen. Well, when he gets on base, right, the, the speed that we saw in football, we knew about would be happening in baseball. And, and uh, you know, he's he's fast and, uh, you know, as he's thrown, he's had some throws from center field that makes you a little bit, ooh, what could he do on the football field with that in the fall? <laughs> I think he's backed up all of the hype and, and being a two-sport athlete. And, uh, you know, players like him, fans like him, coaches like him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've had many opportunities to talk with him both in a media setting and just in a personal setting. And, you know, he just seems like a nice guy. I've got an opportunity to talk with his parents at baseball this season. And the guy, the guy's given you everything you've got yeah, with everything he's got. Now, whether that's going to be good enough for fans, I don't know. You know, I don't think the quarterback – controversy of last year helped it kind of hung over everything uh, with that division in the fan base and that certainly doesn't feel like that's the case now as we go into the summer 100 days out but he's gonna have to back it up on the football field nobody's gonna care what he did in baseball yeah. uh you know when they're when they're at kansas you know they're gonna want them to come out there with a win uh what do you what do you think about that schedule do you see a possible bowl in that or do you think it'll be a rocky transition Personally, I think it's going to be a rocky transition. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, you know, it's uh, you know, this is uh, you know, not this is not an AAC schedule. <laughs> it's uh, and you're you're you got much more travel involved. Uh, 
in the equation, and they're going to play in some tough places. So that, uh, you know, six and six would, you know, you, we were talking about expectations, right? You know, so remember a few years ago, everybody think, oh, we're going undefeated every year. <laughs> Those days are well now in our rearview mirror. <laughs> so yeah, so that non-conference schedule, you've got Kent State and Villanova at home. Yep. All right, going to give you two there. They yep. go to Boise State. That's a long road trip, but I like them coming out of that with a win. Okay, so that's three. So now you just have to go three and six <laughs> in the conference slate. You got Houston at home, though it's at the end of the season. How worn down will they be? They go to Cincinnati, so they bring in those two schools uh, from the American. You know, uh, no, West Virginia, out of Texas Tech. Yeah. Kansas, who's the weak teams? Yeah, <laughs> who, who are the who are the teams that you just look at? And go, well, there's a win. I yeah. mean, until they go to a Kansas, Kansas State, uh, those aren't wins. They they host Baylor. What makes you think that's an easy win? Again, they can go toe to toe with them for a while, but what happens when over the course of the season you have injuries? Who who's who's the depth? that you can compete. I watched a game last year, got home from a UCF game. It was one of those late games. It was BYU and Baylor, right? BYU coming into the big 12 as well. Mm -hmm. And I watched those big guys on the line, right? The offensive and defensive lines. And I thought, Oh man, I thought, I thought UCF would get killed in, in this game against either one of these teams right now. It just, no disrespect to the quality guys that are on those lines. And I feel like the defensive line coming back is a strong suit. You know, they've added guys to the portal to replace some guys that are leaving on the offensive line. But you saw how UCF fared a couple of seasons ago in the Boca Bowl against BYU, which is an older team, right? The, the makeup of BYU. These are older guys yeah. uh, playing against 18, 19 year olds. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, is the roster big 12 ready? It's closer. Um, I don't know that it's fully there. Uh, but I know Coach Malzahn has been recruiting and he and his staff to get it there. And UCF has been successful with the portal. So um, it's it's going to be fun making this transition, getting to new new getting to know new teams um, and programs and fan bases. All of it to me is very exciting. Yeah, much more exciting than it was when they made the transition in, in those other leagues. You know, yeah. uh, this one. Again, no no disrespect to the American, which I think was a good landing spot and good home for UCF after its long winding road uh, through various it was divisions. Good reason, you know? Yeah, it, it worked, but uh, you know Oklahoma, they're playing at Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, I consider that a step up from playing at Tulsa. Yeah, okay? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we, UCF might not like the, the entire state of Oklahoma after this experience, but. And that's a, a bit about branding, right? And these are programs that we all grew up with. Oklahoma State's coming to UCF. Oklahoma State, yeah. right? These are these are big name schools that are, are exciting to see now that UCF's going to be paired. With. Yeah, you know, and you bring up a great point because it's like you know when you start to see the Big Twelve logo on the field on uniforms, and boy, it starts to hit you. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> this is another gear, and uh, and and I and I also liked your analogy when you're talking about the size of players because you know I remember, you know, you know back when we were independent and we're playing you know the Georgias and the Clemsons and going on all these money road trips Nebraska and all that. And you would look at the size of our guys and the size of their guys, <laughs> and and it, it was they were like giants. On the other side. Well, well, don't quote me on this one, but I think there was an average 100-pound difference 
on the lines when UCF played at Nebraska in that famous game yeah. where they were hanging with Nebraska that they there was something like UCF averaged 250, 260, 270 on the lines and they were like 350 or, or <laughs> yeah. you know something like that. It was just this big disparity. Uh, again, UCF can you know, and, and you look at those games and, and the starters played a long time, you know, cause the, that drop off when you brought in the second teamers, you know, was, you, you couldn't compete. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's why I think getting those three wins in non-conference play and then seeing how you find three more. I don't want to see UCF needing two wins with three games to go if they've been worn down over the course of the season. Yeah. That, that's, but all of it again. Um, you know, they're going to run the ball. Uh, running game looks strong. Uh, some question marks along the offensive line until you see how guys gel together. I think it was interesting, you know, where they brought in some portal guys last year and the, all the talk was, well, they need to come together. They need to gel. It's a 12 game season. You know, I mean, if you're going to be bringing guys in the portal, that's always going to be part of it then, right? And you can't make that as an excuse. Yeah. You know, that you got to come together, come together, you know, because you're going to be facing these teams. But, all eyes will be on John Rice Plumley, and if he is successful, then it will be a successful season, right? Yeah. And if he struggles, then how are they going to get around that they may have struggles? Yeah. So all eyes will be on JRP, right? As it is with programs, it, it comes down to quarterback play. Well, what I am hoping, uh, and this is usually true when it comes to the sport of football, is that because I'm looking at, obviously, John Rice is the is is kind of the, the, the guy there he's going to have the microscope on. But to me, the guy I'm most excited to watch this year is R.J. Harvey mm. and the running back group. Because I think if we can run the football successfully and kind of get back to, you know, you know when we had, uh, you know, McCray and, 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 and Anderson kind of, you know, taking pressure off the off the quarterback, I think that would be huge in whatever success UCF has this year. Yeah. You, and, and maybe limit how much John Rice Plumley runs. You know, mm-hmm. we heard throughout spring camp, saw little glimpses of it in the spring game, Darren Hinshaw wanting the quarterbacks to stay in the pocket more uh, and look downfield and let the play develop and not just run, you know, which maybe was something JRP did a little bit too much of, you know, so let's see what the evolution and the growth is of him and the success in mixing in Darren Hinshaw's offense uh, and that touch of Gus Malzahn. You know, Gus Malzahn is coached at the highest levels. He knows what it looks like, right? He knows mm-hmm. what it needs to be to be successful. UCF has not been using that the future of college football quite as much uh, these past few months, but it still is, right, in so many ways. You yeah. know, there the opportunities through the portal. It's still a good destination. And the way they treat recruits who may not choose them now but may come back to them later, I think that's going to be a plus for them down the line. Yeah, and I think the other thing UCF does better than most is the marketing department. They have their stuff together. <laughs> the, oh yeah, you know, they they know how to they know how to hype. You know they and and what I love is you know when they do their hype videos, they put as much effort into the lower tier sports as they do football, and 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 that excites me because they just they just have a great understanding of how to market the brand. Well, it helps, of course, when you have a young fan base, young alumni base, right, who have come of age in a, a you know, social media era. So uh, they know they know how to do things. They know how to drop. They know how to tease. They know how to time. Graphics, the quality. 
UCF has been a disruptor in the marketplace, right? I mean, people are still talking about the 2017 national championship. It's not even UCF that brings it up. It's every other fan base. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and space uniforms. And as much as I'm not big on uh, the blue and the Citronaut, I know it gets a lot of play and uh, goes viral. So uh, I agree with you. They, uh, they know how to market. And this is going to be an interesting destination for all these big 12 fan bases, you know, uh, that are used to coming to maybe playing one of the bowl games in Orlando, you know, Iowa state brings 30,000 people. Uh, when they play in the Citrus Bowl. And I think that's going to be something interesting for UCF fans, too. I think we'll see it in basketball, uh, the, the depth of some of these fan bases. I don't think we appreciate that. You know, there's always somebody, there's always a couple of people from Temple, and you know, uh, that are at a game. But, wow, Kansas. I imagine they're going to have some Kansas fans or looky-loos uh, in Central Florida that are going to want to check out of Kansas should they be one of the teams to come to the uh, the arena this year. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, yeah, tell you what, it's, uh, it is an exciting time. For, for that is that is for sure. So it's going to be uh, lots to look forward to as we go through uh, 2023 and 2024 of uh, watching UCF begin that growth in a in a in a in a big big time conference. That's right. And you know, I I hope one day we can get rid of the P5 and G5 designations. I try not to. I try not to use those. Well, the uh, way the SEC and the Big Ten are going, it's going to be a P2 uh, designation. <laughs> 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 there, 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 there could, could be some of that. And of course, obviously, the opportunities you know with with bigger TV deals and and things like that that uh, that uh, lie ahead. Just so much to look forward to. It's exciting. Right, hundred days out from the start of the season, dropping gold helmets and a little bit of buzz in late May. I think that's exciting. Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm ready for it. That's uh That's for sure. So uh, it'll be. It'll be good to good to watch it all unfold here in the very very near future. So Trace, uh, please, uh, you know, make a shameless plug for uh, your endeavors with uh, the Sons of UCF, please. Sons of UCF, I'm part of the uh, weekly show, typically Thursday nights from 8 to 9, uh, Sons of UCF Live. We stream on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and some collection of us. So we brought more of names and faces into the Sons of UCF family. Uh, we come together, we talk to players, uh, former players, media members. Uh, we talk uh, all things UCF from 8 to 9. And, of course, Adam and Mike come together on their signature podcast on the Sons of UCF. Uh, early on the week. You can find that wherever you get downloadable content. Give a subscription to the Sons of UCF YouTube channel. Uh, follow my Twitter at SignPez. I'll be giving you more coverage uh, throughout the week from the AC uh, Baseball Championship in Clearwater when I get out there again. And uh, uh, always enjoy talking to you, Jeff. Yeah, always doing the same. And of course, uh, you're also the biggest purveyor of Seinfeld trivia. Uh, out in the world of, out of the world of Twitter. <laughs> that I, I received for uh, Christmas, uh, Seinfeld trivia. And I had made the decision. I don't know. I don't know if they came together, but that I was going to rewatch the, the show from the beginning. So I watch one episode a night. And today begins the last season, season nine, episode one. I don't know that it's going to quite time out with however many of these trivia questions I have left. And then I think my second half, the 180 episodes, which was one of the trivia questions at some point this year, um, the second half of the year, I, I haven't decided quite yet, but I think I'm going to take on Curb Your Enthusiasm and Veep in somewhere. Veep's got 60-some episodes. Curb's got 110, 120-some episodes. But that 180 or thereabouts would take me through the second half of the year. I'm not a binge guy where I can 
stay I, I'm gonna stay home and watch 12 episodes of anything right. but one a night over the course of the year I can do so I'm I'm revisiting uh Seinfeld in the first half of the year and then I'm gonna decide which one starts uh, after this season nine here in a, about two weeks do you have a favorite trivia question you've put out there so far mm, do I have a favorite uh trivia question? I don't know if I have a favorite. Some of them, it's a mix, right? Some of them are a little bit easier. Uh, one from this week uh, that was uh, which character, not the main four, Jerry, George, Kramer, and Elaine, appeared in the most episodes. And there were a lot of different answers to that. Um, Newman was the correct answer with 47 episodes. But as one person pointed out to me, the cashier, Ruthie, appeared in, I, I don't remember, but a, a higher number than 47, 100 some odd episodes. Now, not a lot of speaking roles and she's just <laughs> at the cash register, uh, but we see her frequently in the background. So I think it was that question uh, is from this week uh, that stands out uh, is interesting to me, but it's uh, yeah, people are posting pictures and, and the answers are all over the place. And some purposely give wrong answers uh, just to be, uh, to be funny and, um, it's been nice to, to, to share it with uh, the people. Well, I don't know if I ever told you this. So we ran through with our pets, we ran through Seinfeld names. Ah, yeah. So, so we, we had a, we had, we had a Kramer. He was an air, he was an Airedale Terrier mix and he would literally kind of hit and run into the room like Kramer. I was going to say, how did he run into the room? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was, he was a trip. We, we, we had a Laney. Yeah, we had a Jerry. Uh, and, and we also had, a, a, well, it was a female cat, but we called her Georgie. So, uh-huh. so, 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 so we did that. Uh, the wife would never sign off on naming a pet Newman. I, it's as hard as I tried. Cause I wanted to come home and say, hello, Newman. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. That's good. That's good. Little trivia. You hit me with some trivia. I did not know this. I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, as always, Trace, I appreciate it the time and uh look forward to your coverage on the uh, sons of ucf live and a whole lot more and we will talk again soon down the road all right go knights charge on all right now let's close things out with a tv theme just sit right back and you'll hear a tale a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship the mate was a mighty sailor and the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship's aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle With Gilligan, the skipper too A millionaire and his wife The movie star, the professor and Mary Ann Here on Gilligan's Gilligan's Island, which ran on CBS from September 1964 to April 1967. Only three seasons of Gilligan's Island, ironically enough. And, of course, it was created by Sherwood Schwartz and featured, well, first of all, the first 36 episodes were filmed in black and white, later colorized for syndication, and second and 
third seasons were done in color. And the series, of course, follows the comic adventures of the seven castaways as they try to survive on an island where they are shipwrecked. And uh, it's also deals with some of their dissimilar conflicts and their unsuccessful attempts to escape the island. And Gilligan usually falls in line of being the fall guy for those failures. Um, Of course, the song pretty much describes it. They go for a three-hour tour. The storm gets shipwrecked. And the castaways, of course, were Bob Denver as Gilligan. His first name, by the way, was Willie, but that was only revealed in the first pilot episode, which never aired, by the way. Alan Hale Jr. as Captain Grumby. Of course, he was always just referred to as the skipper. Jim Backus as Thurston Hell III. The Wall Street millionaire and his wife, Natalie Schaefer, as the Lovey Howell. Tina Louise as Hollywood movie star Ginger Grant. Russell Johnson as The Professor, who was known as Professor Roy Hinckley in full name, but uh, they just called him Professor. Don Wills was Marianne Summers, the wholesome farm girl from Winfield, Kansas. And she had won that trip and tour in a lottery. So Gilligan's Island, uh, the theme music was actually kind of uh, pulled together by Sherwood Schwartz, the show's creator. So uh, there's a fact I actually did not know. And uh, I mentioned a pilot episode. It was filmed in November 1963, had seven characters, but only four of the characters and the actors that portrayed them were picked to move on to begin the series, Gilligan, the Skipper, and the Howls. So there were there were three different characters. There were supposed to be like uh, two secretaries and a high school teacher. Of course, the high school teacher would have been the, uh, the scientific guy <laughs> uh, in that scenario. So the things you never know, I, I, I read here in good old Wikipedia that the original pilot eventually aired on TBS some 29 years later, which would have been in late 80s, I'm guessing, in the 90s, but I don't ever remember seeing it. So there you go. Gilligan's Island, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.